this is Lon Taylor, the Rambling Boy, broadcasting from my home in Fort Davis. And I'm Sally Beauvais here with Lon. Lon's going to answer some of our history questions that have come to us through our program called West Texas Wonders, where you, the listener, submit your questions about what you want to know about West Texas. And some of these questions were very tough, but fortunately... The Big Bend is rich in experts in all sorts of esoteric fields, and I've been able to turn to a number of those folks for help with answers. So, Lon, our first question comes from Rachel Maxwell in Alpine, and this is a very specific question, so I hope that you can unpack this a little for us. She wants to know what the highest level of education was that the borough lady achieved. Well, for those listeners who arrived in the Big Bend, less than 10 years ago. We had better start by explaining that the Borough Lady was an enigmatic and largely silent woman who rode a burrow loaded with blankets, tarps, and plastic bags full of cooking gear and personal belongings along the right-of-ways of the Big Bend's roads and highways for 15 years or so. Uh, before she died at the age of 65 in 2007. She covered the territory from Sierra Blanca to Studi Butte and seldom spoke to anyone. And so the bottom line here is that we don't know what the highest level of education she achieved was. Uh, Her name was Judy Ann Majors. According to Bill Ivey, who was probably her best friend and who cashed her Social Security checks for her at his store in Lajitas, she first appeared in the area in 1982, camping by herself in Colorado Canyon and buying her groceries at the Lajitas store. She moved her camp from Colorado Canyon to Ivey's property at Lajitas, when Colorado Canyon became part of the Big Bend Ranch State Park. But then she acquired the first of a whole series of patient plodding burros, and she became nomadic. Her last burro named Merle was found standing over her body braying when she died of natural causes by the road outside of Sierra Blanca on a cold January morning in 2007. She was buried in the Terlingua Cemetery, as she had told Bill Ivey that she wished to be, and her four children showed up at the funeral, coming from North Dakota, South Dakota, Arizona, and California. They told Ivey that they had not seen their mother in 20 years. So, In trying to answer Rachel Maxwell's question about her education, I turned to Martha Sterry Butcher, who wrote an article about the Bureau Lady in the March 23, 2007 Texas Observer. Butcher pleaded ignorance about the Bureau Lady's formal education, but she did say... I'd say she knew more about sunsets and sunrises and sleeping on the ground than anyone else in the Big Bend. She knew more about being alone, too, much more than the rest of us. Maybe that's what's really important out here. Lon, why do you think 
Rachel and Alpine wanted to know what the highest level of education that the borough lady received was. Is there some kind of mystery around that? Well, I would guess that there's probably some kind of myth that she had a Ph.D. in nuclear physics or something like that because that kind of story attaches itself to people like the borough lady. But I like stories at your best. Okay, so we can't really know what the highest formal level of education was that she received, but she certainly knew a lot. She did. She knew what was important. Okay, up next, a question from Harry Hudson. And Lon, I just have to ask, do you have a personal relationship with Harry Hudson? Oh, yes, I've known Harry ever since I moved out here. He is a silversmith and jeweler and operates a westernware store in Dallas and uh, is a great collector of cowboy boots and saddles and that sort of thing. Okay. He wants to know what the story is about Mrs. Kerr of Fort Stockton and how her marriage proposal related to rainfall. Did you have a hunch as to why he asked this question? Well, my hunch is that he wanted us to work our tails off to try to find out the answer. Now, this question led an ever-widening circle of people on a wild goose chase for a couple of weeks because it turned out that the Mrs. Kerr that Harry had in mind was not from Fort Stockton, but from El Paso. But in the process, former Fort Stockton residents, Walter Binger, Dan Bullock, Sam Feaster, Chip Love, Leanna Bile Scully, Jim Adams, Betty Jo Moberly, and Carol Kerr all provided a lot of information about a much love Fort Stockton lady called Totsie Kerr, but none of them could pin down a story about her marriage proposal. Harry finally helped me locate the right Mrs. Kerr, Mrs. Judy Kerr, now of Dallas, and she told me this story. She grew up in El Paso, and in the late 1940s, just about the time the seven-year drought of 1949-1956 started, she fell in love with J. Alvin Kerr, who lived on a ranch 50 miles east of El Paso, over near Dell City. After an extended courtship, he proposed to her by saying, if it ever rains, we'll get married. Well, she worked as a stewardess for Continental Airlines on a DC-3 flight between El Paso and San Antonio. The flight path in and out of El Paso took the plane directly over the Kerr Ranch. And when her fiancé heard the plane, he would come out into the yard and wave a tablecloth and the pilot would dip his wings in acknowledgement. One day in November 1951, a freak thunderstorm swept down from the Guadalupe Mountains, and when Kerr's plane passed over the ranch, she looked down and saw that water was standing in the pastures and the roads were muddy. I guess I'm going to get married, she told the pilot. She and Kerr were married on December 1st, 1951, and were married for 58 years until her husband's death in 2009. Now, 
A side benefit of this extended inquiry is that Kirby Wardock of the Pecos County Historical Commission, who was also on the case, came up with an earlier marriage proposal dependent on rain. Commission member Nancy Hayter told him that her husband's great uncle, Jack Hayter of the Rockpile Ranch in Jeff Davis County, had proposed to Grace Moore of Valentine in the summer of 1918, and she told him that she would marry him the next time it rained. The first time water ran off her roof, Nancy Hayter said, he was on the porch. What this really all shows is that West Texas is full of people who will go out of their way to help you when you call on them, no matter how off the wall your question may be. Do you think this shows us anything about West Texans' relationship to drought? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Drought is a big factor in West Texas. I guess in, in a sense, rain could be a sign of luck or good tidings. Well, I've heard that, but I've also heard that rain on your wedding day is a sound of bad luck. (laughs) A lot of people do get married outside in Marfa, that's for sure. Well, I think in West Texas, rain is a sign of good luck at any time. Okay, Lon, next question comes from Gretchen Lee Coles of Marfa. She lives on East Mendia Street, which on her plat map of Marfa is marked as the Old Fort Davis Road. And she wants to know what route that road followed through Marfa to Fort Davis. Well, again, this is not an easy question to answer. And it's not easy because that road was originally laid out by the U.S. Army long before there was a town of Marfa. It, it was laid out sometime between 1854 and 1859. And back then, it was called the Del Norte Road because it ran south from Fort Davis to Presidio del Norte, now Ohinaga, Chihuahua. Nineteenth-century roads did not necessarily run straight, but they zigzagged from waterhole to waterhole, as the people and animals who traveled on them needed a daily supply of water. The del Norte road passed through the present site of Marfa, and met an older road called the Chihuahua Trail at the waterhole that is still called the Tinaja San Esteban. And then it followed the Chihuahua Trail down Alamito Creek to the Rio Grande, crossing the river about where Fort Leeton is. The road is clearly delineated on two military maps in archives at the Fort Davis National Historic Site. One made in 1878 by 2nd Lieutenant George Andrews of the 25th Cavalry, and the other made in 1880 by 1st Lieutenant William H. Beck of the 10th Cavalry. But unfortunately, both maps were made before Marfa was laid out, so it is impossible to trace its route through Marfa. The 1889 Presidio County Commissioner's Minutes designate the road from Marfa to Fort Davis as a first-class road, meaning that it was a dirt road 40 feet wide with no gates and no trees on the right-of-way. But 
there is no map in the minutes to show what its route was through Barfa. So the answer to the question must be that part of it ran down East Mendia Street, which seems odd since Mendias is an east-west street and Fort Davis is north of Barfa. But the commissioner's minutes do say that the road has no culverts or bridges on it. So perhaps it was routed that way to get around some obstacle. Do you know when Highway 17 that now links Marfa to Fort Davis was built or established? Well, it, it, that Highway 17 runs pretty much along the route of that old military road. And it seems to me that it was paved and made a state highway sometime in the late 1930s. Thank you, Lon. This is our final question from the West Texas Wonders for this episode. Phoenix Navidson of Marfa wants to know why there are so many closed gas stations and garages in Marfa. Well, I think there are two factors at work here. In the 1980s and 90s, the whole retail fuel business shifted from privately owned gas stations to chain convenience stores such as Stripes and 7-Eleven. And at the same time in Marfa, Interstate 10 replaced one of Marfa's main thoroughfares, San Antonio Street, or US 90, as the principal route from San Antonio to El Paso. Now in most towns along US 90, the abandoned gas stations have been torn down, but the clever Marfans have repurposed them as galleries, artist studios, residents, and even a public radio station from which this broadcast is being broadcast. (laughs) That's true. Marfans love old gas stations. Lon, thanks for answering those West Texas Wonders questions. Sally, thank you. You know, it occurs to me that the term West Texas Wonders sounds like it means natural wonders, like Palo Pinto Canyon or something like that. Uh, That's one take on West Texas Wonders, but Wonders is also a verb. Exactly. If you have a question you want Lon to answer or one of our reporters as a part of the West Texas Wonder series, you can submit it online at marfapublicradio.org slash curious. The Rambling Boy will be back next week with a regular program about January holidays.